Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. I'm your host, Dave Gibney, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conor McCabe. We're also joined this week by a guest, um, a Left Block member and Unite member, Unite Trade Union member, uh, Glenn Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Um, (laughs) You're a regular now at this stage anyway, so I should probably be calling you co-host too. Uh, (laughs) Listen, um, the usual stuff at the start, look, The Week at Work is part of the Left Block uh, project, which is a, a an alternative media and political education project, um, starting to kick off this year with some big announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, um, look if we if you want to support the work that we do, whether it's this podcast or any of the family of podcasts or anything else that we do, uh, please do so at patreon.com forward slash left block. Um, if you don't have any money to to chip in, just do us a favor and share the podcasts uh, with your friends, family, whoever you think might be interested. Without further ado, as usual, this show looks at the newspapers, uh, particularly the Sunday newspapers, but also some of the news during the week to analyze it from a left-wing perspective. I got to you, Glenn, first to say, uh, ask you, what, what papers have you been looking at and what are the big topics? Um, yeah, so I suppose I delved kind of straight into the, the Sindo this week, um, mainly because I got the text yesterday asking me that I want to be part of the Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll. So I suppose that's, that's for one of those uh, one of those people in the pub who always say, oh, you never hear of anybody being asked to poll. I never knew anybody who got asked to be part of these. Well, hands up, I got asked uh, to be part of it yesterday. Um, so kind of at a headline level, we've got the was the popularity of the parties, which is all very kind of static at the moment. Uh so just at a, it was a quick snapshot, Sinn Féin, 32, down one. Fine Gael, no change, 23. Uh, Fianna Fáil, down two to 17. Uh, and then sort of like, you know, the rest sort of in, in, in around the margin of error, it changes like Sock Dems, five. Greens, four. Uh, Labour still surging on three. And uh, Solidarity, PPP, three. And ain't two on three percent. But I mean, you know, when you're within the margin of error, it's very difficult sometimes to make head or tail of, of, of how those parties on single digits are, are, are jockeying for position. Uh, but the Sindo kind of leads with this notion that the cost of living crisis is now the biggest issue affecting voters, that in the last month or two, it's basically surged and is now a bigger issue than housing. Um, and look, it's, a, it's, it's quite an interesting way of presenting those things, because I would have thought that, you know, the cost of living and housing are pretty strongly linked for a lot of people. Um, and obviously the, the government are, are scrambling and apparently are putting, you know, the finishing touches together on a a cost of living package for for the the least well off um even though they haven't finalized the details on it and so in a week where we've had sort of like uh Owen O'Brien versus Dara O'Brien uh kind of on kind of get a sense that maybe there's a little bit of an attempt to kind of put housing slightly to one side and obviously cost of living is a much easier sort of uh thing that much more universal thing for politicians to go on about particularly if they seem to have failed on the housing front so yeah, there's lots, lots of meat on the bones in the Ireland Thinks uh, kind of research. Uh, one inter- inter- interesting one as well was that um, they had a leading question on uh, Irish people's views on NATO membership. And I just, I, I'll read you out the question. Um, <laughs> basically, should Ireland join NATO? And then in brackets, a common defence pact between almost every European country and the US. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> Not leading at all there, though. No. <laughs> defence. Yeah, a, a, a nice, a nice gentle description of, of, of what NATO is there. But they still only got 54% said no. So they, they tried to like, you know, sell that up in a particular way and they still didn't get the answer they wanted. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, but kind of, that's, that's kind of a, a whistle-stop tour of the, the Ireland Things poll today. Yeah, that that that's that is interesting. Actually, I love looking at the way these questions are framed. Um, but still 54%. I'd, I'd still say I'm very disappointed. I'd hoped that it would have been far higher. Um 
immediately comes to mind is the Christy Moore songs from the 80s. Did, did, did NATO donate the dough, my boys, for, for the, the airport there in Knock? Um, Connor, I don't know, have you been looking at any stories there that caught your eye? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, like during this week, um, I've been mostly reading the uh, Freeman's Journal from, um, from, from 1876. That's been my week. Um, so, like in terms of the news, kind of today, it's not really much there. Like, like what has kind of uh, popped up has been the 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 kind of non-debate there between kind of Owen O'Brien and and uh, Dara O'Brien um, yeah. about you know who loves kind of developers most. Um, and then there's the Jimmy Carr story as well, mm. you know, which has been you know that's a really big one. But the like. I talk about the the, the, the you know kind of famous journal and like eighteen seventy six, but it's actually kind of relevant like to today. You know, I mean, um, it's about the like setting up of the Dublin Artisan Housing Kind of Committee in like eighteen seventy six. That today is like it, it's talked about as this great kind of uh, philanthropic. Um, how I said that word right? Yes. Um, yeah. Perfect. Charity, just whatever kind of you know. Uh, a project that you were doing out of the goodness of their kind of capitalistic hearts, and um, and it wasn't, you know, like you know, it, it was based on, um, it was a public limited kind of company that had um, a five percent kind of return uh, per year on the like investment, um, and then charged rents uh, based on that. This is basically the model of the social and like affordable housing that's being put forward today. Because hmm. like in essence, there's no difference with what was happening in the 1870s and what's happening kind of today. And I think that's important, not in terms of and it ties in with what's going on today and you know, and the the like the the normative kind of consensus that's there kind of at the moment. I like that story and I researched kind of that story. One because I have no life and that's what I do. And then <laughs> And then secondly, it's that um, social forces move, they they move to the drum, uh, they move to the beat of a different drum. And you need that kind of historical kind of uh, suede to, uh, uh, to see them. And the third, and I think the most kind of important point is that this way of thinking, it's deeply embedded in the state itself. Mm. Uh, there's an argument out there that... That, that that capitalism kind of, you know, it it arrived from the outside into Ireland in the fifties and and again the sixties. It's an argument that's used by the right, like in Ireland, and it's used by the left. I mean, I read a uh, in kind of left wing kind of analysis all the time. It breaks me fucking heart, but it's there. And um, and the purpose of that story is to make sound like neoliberalism and the capitalism came from outside and they were imported into Ireland. I'm there going, no. When like neoliberalism shows up in Ireland in the 1980s, Ireland goes, what took you so long, lads? <laughs> you know, we've been doing, like we have this game kind of sorted up in, in terms of our stake in institutions, in, in, in terms of our laws, 
like in terms of you know how we kind of function things that to me it's important because these ideas as in like using kind of social housing for the five percent kind of return they're not imported and that's not to get like all kind of nationalistic it's that that shows that how are these ideas reproduced intergenerationally from 1876 until today they're reproduced because it's part of the state ideology it's how the state thinks and it's how the state thinks going back to 1922 and that's the thing about it it's how civil servants think it's how um what's your man's name i'm terrible with names these days but like you know uh they're like city a manager oh uh glenn you're gonna know this one Own keegan or own keegan own keegan keegan you know you know he it sounds like you know he he played for Knott's Forest in the 70s. But but like, you know, him, like, you know, he's like, he is not doing these things. It's him and the thousands of of of, of people who work in in these kind of institutions who just think that this is how this is the way things are done. And I think it, that's important because it gets into how the state thinks, how the state kind of operates. Um, what is normative uh, consensus, and to try and get away from the idea that was brought into Ireland, that is that was actually imported, that capitalism is somehow um, part of the U.S. Uh, post World War II um, imperialist kind of project. It's mm. taking that takes an analysis of U.S. kind of imperialism in Central and South America. And just assumes that that's what happened here. The fuckers were already here. Mm-hmm. It's like War of the Worlds. Um, in that, if those machines don't land and then start kind of invading, they landed 50 years ago, burrowed into the ground, <laughs> and then they come up. That's, what, that's what's happening here. And for me, that's a much more kind of interesting kind of argument. Or, it, it, sorry, it, it's much more interesting kind of debate because then it gets into why we have Leo. Leo kind of Radcar, why we have uh, Pascal Donahue, and why we have Owen O'Brien saying that, yeah, I, I've no problem talking uh, to developers, and I've I've meals with them kind of all the time, and I just won't be as as open to them as ye are, but I still will be. Now, mm. why is he making that statement when when their kind of twenty three percent kind of vote is based on burn these fuckers down, right? It's based on that, and they're going for we have tea and cake with them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but, that, so that's oh, what you get. So that's what you get when I don't read newspapers. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're all right. Um, it leads me to a story on the front page of the Business Post, actually, because uh, the two connections you made around the, the housing stuff and then capitalism and and then the state, I suppose, as well. But uh, Iris Reit made 8.7 million from state rent subsidies in 2021. Um, that's not is, the story. That's I mean that is uh, like. I saw that story there, you know, as as well. Sorry for kind of jumping in on you, but that's okay. not the story. 8.7 million. Mm-hmm. Fucking Coke money. That is nothing. They would snort that ages up their noses. That's nothing. That's not the story. Right? Go ahead. They're making billions. They're making oh, wait, no, hundreds yeah. of like millions. And they're focusing in um, on like, these things. They have changed the whole kind of definition of what is kind of social housing. So much so that Sinn Féin have, 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 have signed up to this. Mm. As have kind of Sock Dems, have, um, as has Labour. They all agree 
with the same kind of definition as what is social and like affordable housing. Yeah. So right. eight point seven million, you know, like it's 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 pocket change. Yeah, I, and and I'm not sure in this one it's telling us that the HAP scheme, um, the the amount that the state paid out in HAP scheme went up from where is this figure again? Uh, oh, it was something like four hundred million up to five hundred million. Uh, in the last five years. Um, oh yeah, there it is, sorry. Established in 2014, the HAP scheme in, uh, is a form of social housing support. It cost 400,000 euros in the first year, but the cost of the system has increased to 542 million in 2021. Now, immediately I went, oh, hold on a second. You're only counting HAP here because there's RAS and there's a whole range of other supports that are there. So how much hmm. money are they making out of the, all of the others? So I, I was going to, sort of, I wasn't going to get probably as detailed as you would be on this, Connor, because I'm not, on up to date on housing as much, but I was immediately not going, we're spending more than 1 billion on housing supports. And this is being portrayed as about half of that. Um, so there's, there's definitely a gap here in the figures. That, that was the bit I wanted to come to. But the, uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, we have a state that says we believe in free market capitalism and we'll allow the market to dictate this, that, and the other. But in reality, the state is, is jumping in to support these guys. Now, the logical thing here to do for any, any ordinary taxpayer or, or, or person in, in Ireland is to go, why doesn't the state just run these houses? If we're paying them all that money, why doesn't the state just have public housing policies? But obviously that filters back to 1876 and beyond uh, in terms of, no, the state doesn't want to have, get its hands dirty by dealing with by, by dealing with stuff like this, like assets and housing and, and public back services. In the 1870s, and, back in the 1870s, you know, kind of 1880s, there was a debate happening there about whether to have um, a differential rate, uh, rents, and to bring that in for for all housing and for kind of Dublin Corporation to start kind of building housing as well. And the argument made from uh, from the private social housing kind of you know operators was that don't do that because that will squeeze us out. Mm-hmm. We would then lose our five percent per year. Uh, you know, and that's not profit. It, that's the dividend. So profit mm. is thinking of something else. Exactly the same thing is, is it happening now. If the state, like the reason why the state doesn't build housing is that where's the role then for these REITs that are getting into so-called social and like affordable housing? Mm. That, would, that, would, that would screw them up. This is class war. Mm. It's, it's like, it, like and, and, and this idea that, that that's not capitalism that somehow it's some kind of truncated, fucked up kind of version of, of, of capitalism. It's not. That's what capitalism is. Yeah. It is extractive. Yeah. It is extractive and it will extract value, which is a monetized human labor. It will do that whatever way it can. It's monetized kind of human labor and it's monetized kind of natural kind of resources. And mm-hmm. it will it, it, like it, it will extract that each and every time. That's what this shit does. Hmm. Yeah. Well, getting back to what, um, Glenn raised it. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, oh, right. I wasn't expecting it to go <laughs> fuck on so, the communism. So, I, 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 I was probably on the Sunday morning, but like, uh, you know, yeah, not in the first 10 minutes anyway. Uh, not in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, we were expecting it a bit later in the, the episode, but sure, we'll take yeah. it where we can get it. Nobody um, expects full communism <laughs> until it shows up. <laughs> uh, so going back to what Glenn raised earlier on, just about how, you know, housing is being pushed forward uh, as the big issue now ahead of, I know there's no election coming up, well, not that we're aware of, but um, again, front page of the Business Post, extra measures to tackle cost of living must be once off. 
uh, McGrath warns. <laughs> this is Michael McGrath, the Minister for Public Expenditure, and it's all about the tokenistic sort of, we'll give them a few quid here and there to tackle the, the, the energy a- increases. Well, I mean, that's that's what I've come across so far anyway. I haven't mm. seen too many other um, st- <laughs> ways that they plan on systemically challenging the increased cost of living, say, for instance, like collective bargaining rights or enhanced trade union recognition um, uh, legislation or anything of the sort like that, where... You know, on the one hand, we all know people are suffering from the cost of living increases and the government are doing absolutely nothing to enable workers or pensioners or anyone else to increase their actual income, which is the way you tackle a cost of living crisis is to be able to negotiate better pay and 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 better pensions and better conditions of uh, are you uh, are you cap are you yes. capping the prices you know yeah, which is what yeah. france has done like you know france has has brought in a kind of five percent kind of cap in it like in terms of any kind of um energy energy um like increases uh did you see that quote from the governor of the bank of England during the week no um he was calling for wage kind of restraint um in britain like in order to tackle like inflation, he got hammered for it because like he's on half a million a a a year, but like um it goes back it it goes back it looked to what we talked about two weeks back that inflation is class war, inflation it's about it's 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 about when you have kind of costs kind of going up you can to kill like inflation you can hit wages or you can hit profits mm. it's it's one or the other here. Yeah, and the state it takes the side to uh, uh, to not kind of touch profits, and as a third way to to use our money, the money can we pay in VAT and in tax and in other forms of taxation to bribe ourselves. Mm. Now it's starting to sound like Max Kaiser. I'm getting worried now. Uh, no, no Len, problem. You better kind of come in, or else. <laughs> this show is just going down a very kind of dark, kind of communist kind of uh, route. And we need you uh, just to save it quick. Maybe condemn it <laughs> altogether. Uh, but like, I just, I think it's, you know, we've seen a little bit of it across the water as well. But this, like, you know, the cost of living crisis is almost like kind of like, I know, right wingers have just about, have all of a sudden sort of discovered that there's a cost of living crisis when obviously a lot of people have been living it for, for a long time, you know. Uh, I just think it's, an interesting, in, interesting uh, space that we've moved into, and uh, yeah, it's just like, not, not to take well, it off. Uh, well, I mean, you know, on that point, I mean, you know, it, it just on that point, it, there was one headline kind of during the week, but again from the British kind of newspapers. Just to save my sanity, I read kind of British kind of news because it it, it just avoids having to deal with the Irish kind of middle class, which is always a good week, you know. But 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 like you know, but like they were saying that um, a twenty five pound a week, a twenty no, a, a thirty pound a month increase in cost of living, it, it, it will affect one in four uh, people in Britain. So 25% of the population of Britain are in danger of getting sunk if, if the cost of living rises by £30 a month. Mm. Going back at Glenn's point, what did he mean that that is a cost of living kind of crisis now? Mm. How do you get to the stage where where over 15 when uh, nearly kind of 15 million people um are in that type of a boat mm. yeah and they're only realizing now and i tell you why they're realizing it now for a couple of reasons one it's hitting middle classes and the the, the higher earners a lot more 
uh, because purely on the energy stuff, not well, not purely on that, but on, on the energy stuff is a massive one. Mm. And the reason I say it is because, and you might have read this, but the Michael Brennan has a piece on homes and businesses feel the squeeze as inflation soars. And what does he open up with? And no disrespect to the journalist, but it's about a business, uh, a pig farmer. Um, and I understand the problems that they're going through, but the, the whole story, the whole opening of the story is about how their gas prices per month have gone up from 10,000 euros to 36,000 euros. So again, it's it's focusing on businesses. Mm. So the businesses are being squeezed because, as you've explained for several weeks, Connor, um, international trends and energy. We, we import so much energy that it's, it you know, we are not in control of, of those prices. So it's going up. So now it's impacting on businesses. So something must be done about it. And that's what they focus on. Uh, but there is, in fairness, and Glenn, I'm coming to you after this one, you might have a comment on it, but there is a little, a tiny little um, article in at the bottom of that piece by Michael Brennan, um, where Patricia King, the General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, has a very strong statement where she says employers must cough up, pressure rises for wage hikes. Um, now, of course, she opens up the article and it's a very strong one saying, um, you know, uh, we are not only talking about energy prices and fuel poverty, but food, food prices are going up as well. Employers are now going to have to cough up, she said. But of course, our good friend Fergal O'Brien, IBEX director of lobbying, warned that many companies would not be able to afford any wage increases because of the squeeze that inflation was putting on their finances. And of course, he keeps he goes on about that, how it's impossible. And we'd be entering, I think he called it a spiral, a wage spiral. And um, I love when they use these inflammatory words. but. Um, What's interesting about that is retailers can afford it. And I tell you why, I know that Michael Taft did a piece last year on on the retail sector and found that that in Ireland, 7% of turnover goes towards wages, a fraction uh, goes towards wages, right? And of that, if you were to increase wages by 50 cent per hour for workers in retail, um, it would only cost the company 0.1% of their turnover. So, of course, there's scope for wage increases, right? It, it, it's it's completely po- plausible. And we're back to 2010, where the, the employers are saying we can't afford pay increases, right? Who do they think the money that workers get, where they spend it? Like, it, it's in the local economy. It's counterproductive. I mean, if you were the Small Firms Association or ISME, be going, shut up, I bet. We want workers to get a pay increase for multinationals so that they spend it in our local businesses, restaurants, and all the rest of it. Um, i got to go to you, Glenn, because I, I was going to rant on for a bit there, but myself and Connor have probably spoken too long on this show already. No, look, it's all, it's all kind of connected in a way. And I wanted to kind of bring back some of the COVID stuff in because I can obviously, uh, you know, the cost of living conversation probably forgoes the fact that we're, we're still in a pandemic and that I suppose the wealthy in society have done pretty well out of the pandemic. Like we, we, we know in particular, uh, Irish billionaires have done extremely well. So like there's, there needs to be a rejoining of the dots here between, well, what, what's the so-called cost of living crisis and, and who's actually done quite well out of the last few years. But obviously I suppose that's not the nature of the conversation that we're going to get on the front pages here. Um, but uh, I suppose like on the scene, though, Brent, Brendan O'Connor's usual verbal diatribe, he sort of ends it by saying, uh, I'll get the quote out here because my, my blood pressure was pretty high when I read it the first time. Basically, that the Aviva Stadium was full and Ireland declared the pandemic over, you know. Um, and then there's a story on, this, on the Sunday Times about, you know, up to a million people got COVID over Christmas. Uh, so we're, we're sort of burying our head in the sand that the whole thing is over. But also, um, if we were being honest with the last few years, like, 
we could rebalance the scales in terms of well, I mean, a lot of the businesses who are who are now sort of playing the poor me card also got ex extreme amount of handouts from the state over the last few years as well. Um, and so lastly on this, this is all sort of saying COVID and the future of the economy together and workers deserving a pay rise because the restaurants and, and are still lobbying to get what the a lot of the meat factories have where they want to be able to bring in cheaper labor from overseas rather than address the discourage of low pay here as well. So this is all like like hotly contested battleground. I really hope that ICTU and the trade unions can 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 really put a strong case forward for, for proper wages over the next year, uh, year and a half. Because as you say, 2010 all over again and, uh, and, and, and they will grab whatever they can. Yeah, absolutely. There's an article there as well in the Business Post about hospitality groups lobby for overseas recruitment campaign to bring back skilled workers. And um, again, it's one of those articles that just really annoys me. Uh, we, you know, they've effectively said the vintners and all of the the different hospitality lobby groups are saying we can't find labour in Ireland. You can't find labour because you're not paying decent wages and people can't afford the the housing costs and all of the other things that go with it. Like this. It's like they have their heads buried in the sand. The last six years or so, the left in Ireland has been complaining about the housing crisis and um, and all of the stuff that's that's leading to the the problems faced by businesses now. Like we can't get people to move back over here after going home. People have moved back to their countries during the pandemic and realized, holy shit, life is better here because I don't have to pay three quarters of my wages towards a, a landlord. So, um, but it's 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 again, it's now they're they're going beyond the EU is the argument here. We need to, you know, the EU can't even fill our our a crisis here in 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 hiring. Um, they're called them skilled workers, uh, which is good. At least they're recognizing that they, that these workers have skills. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting article uh, saying that there are 40,000 vacancies in the hospitality sector with 24% of them, almost a quarter of them uh, at a senior level, according to new research by Folger Ireland. I mean, Folger Ireland might as well just put their hat on and say, look, we're a lobby group for the employers as well now at this stage. But there's a, uh, there's a, yeah, there's a real crisis there in terms of employment. And again, it comes down to uh, wages, lads. Have a look at what you're paying people. And if they can't afford to live in the state, then they're not going to come here. So I don't know, Connor or Glenn, if one of you want to jump in there. Well, I've said, I've said a lot kind of already, you know, but like, you know, but like, I mean, like, you know, like, like I think this is why kind of it's important Uh like in terms of a left kind of strategy on like, you know, how do you deal with this? Is it just kind of giving out or is it just like falling back on, on kind of institutions that are already there? Like, it's that, you know, you know, how do we deal with this? And I do think that, that, that I think that given where we are now, it's going to be interesting to kind of maybe start to explore what are the other forms of the organization that we can start kind of playing around with here? You know, but in terms of like protests, does everything have to go through kind of political parties and the trade unions? Is there something to learn from the water campaign? Is there something around kind of grassroots kind of organisations and local kind of community kind of organisations? Do we build them up because because they will put pressure on whoever gets in to government kind of next time to make sure that these things are like being addressed? Like uh, going back to the point around how I noticed that just from the stuff on on um you know just seeing the headline or the front pages of the newspapers just on twitter it was this idea that like as glenn said it's not a housing crisis anymore it's a it's a cost of living crisis and that that may be some kind of 
you know, weird kind of attempt uh, by media and the state to shift the like tone of the debate, but it's not going to work. Like, like you know, again, as much as I love kind of Gramsci, um, hegemony is kind of overrated. Like, I mean, um, you know, if if the media was as powerful as it was, then why is Sinn Féin on, on, on kind of 32%? There's no way that they'd be on 32% based on kind of newspaper and like media. There's something else going on here, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So so ideas of like hegemony and kind of media based on a 19th century kind of template as to how kind of um, ideas are formed, it's certainly not working at the moment. Mm. So like we need, you know, like this is something to kind of tease out more kind of maybe but like what's going on in terms of Ireland and what's the best way of like combating something that is in the bones of the state itself goes back to 1922 to its whole kind of formation that hasn't been kind of reformed and from where kind of Sinn Féin are going kind of these days, it doesn't look like it will be kind of reformed. Like even kind of Sinn Féin's kind of housing policy is pretty much the same as Labour Party's kind of policy back in kind of 2011. If we build more houses, that was sorted. Um, like the problem is not just the building of houses, it's who's buying them and who's like buying them up. And going by the debate kind of last week or 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 or, 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 or like during the week, uh, Sinn Féin policy would be very, very weak in 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 tackling institutional kind of purchasers of like housing. Um, it doesn't seem it really want to go there, which leads me to believe that it's hoping it's like crossing its fingers and hoping that just building kind of more housing will solve kind of this problem. It's not the building as such as well. It's also who's buying. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue here as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, and then this gets into, you know, definitions of social kind of affordable. I think that parties are responsive to kind of grassroots kind of pressure. So if I knew how to do it, I'll be doing it now. But I do think that you, that, that if there's anything to be done in the next kind of three, four years, it, 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 it's about how do you build up that kind of that how do you tap into that kind of grassroots kind of mentality and how do you let that blossom you know yeah interesting um it is definitely one i'd like to get into a, a big discussion about um i know your book money has a really good um section or a large part of it is on the commonwealth of 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 the different groupings and how we need to build that up as well but there no matter who gets into government the most important thing is that they're held accountable by by people so a mobilized active activist base is is desperately needed um i don't know glenn have you got any other stories you wanted to touch on there uh there's a few there yeah um i suppose just I don't want to get too much into the, the geopolitics space, but it's very hard, obviously, to pretty much every web page you go on, news source or, or, or newspaper has something about uh, the ongoing uh, lurking in Ukraine. Uh, so first thing this morning, it was, I suppose the you know, US officials claim that up to 50,000 civilians would die if Russia invades Ukraine. US intelligence claims Russia planning a false flag attack. Now, it's on the latter point, obviously, the US has, has more experience pulling uh, 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 pulling off false flag attacks than anybody said they would know. Uh, but like the, the reportage in Irish media, like it's literally just a conveyor belt of stuff that comes from writers and, and AP, really. Like, I mean, it's, it's I suppose like it's almost just like a part of the furniture at this point. Um, and look, who knows? I, I, I don't, like, I can't speak at length. So, like, this was the, the local history or what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. But I also think that very 
few people can either, you know. So I think it's just, uh, you know, very, very important to be to, to, to look at all of this stuff with a critical eye. And uh, I mean, just the Americans operating in, in bad faith 100% of the time. And that's not a defense of Putin or, or, or anything he's ever done. But I think it's very, very clear here that this is, you know, Western and US and, and, and NATO aggression and that Russia is the, the victim of a, of a disinformation war at the moment. And it's, I think it should be important for us as leftists to say that. And, that, and you know, it's, that, that doesn't make us like a, a campist or it doesn't put us in, you know, like it doesn't make us a Putin apologist or anything like that. Uh, but obviously I think it's, sometimes there can be a little bit of a, you know, a chilling effect around even lefties having a conversation about some of this geopolitical stuff because nobody wants to be pigeonholed as a, as a tanky or an imperialist dog or anything like that, you know. So, uh, but I think it's important that we try and enter a space, you know, to, to talk about some of these things and how and how global power is shifting. And, uh, you know, if, if we really do, I mean, like, you sort of see it across the rest of the media coverage, whether it's about, you know, pressure on universities to not have relations with Chinese institutes or for, you know, uh, uh, obviously a lot of the fallout from the, the, the aviation businessman coming home from China sort of has the likes of... Uh, David Quinn and the Sindo as well sort of talking about how we need to be much stricter on Beijing. Um, but think as leftists, we have to make sure that we're not echoing, I suppose, US State Department talking points. And also, if we're making criticisms about geopolitics, we shouldn't be having similar talking points to the likes of David Quinn. Um, and that's a pro pros of nothing. <laughs> Yeah, but stick stick into geopolitics just quickly. The Irish Times yesterday had a a letter to the editor from um, Amnesty International's director um, Colm O'Gorman in relation to the um, the Amnesty report that people will probably be familiar with that came out. I think it was was it during this week or was it? It feels like it was ages ago. Was it the week before on Israel? Uh, on Israel, yeah, the Israel Palestinian one where they declared that uh, Israel is an apartheid. Uh, country like it, it very clearly is an apartheid country. You now, the, obviously, there's problems in the fact that um, they they didn't make any reference to the occupation and said that they're staying out of um, the, the debate around occupation. But the report was fairly strong in saying that yes, it is a it is an apartheid regime. Um, and obviously, then so this letter to the editor, I haven't read to be honest, Doctor. Uh, the recent letter from Dr. Derek O'Flynn of the Israeli ambassadors or Israeli embassy. So um, it seems that during the week, the Israeli embassy have put out a, an article criticizing the report and according to Amnesty, just a distraction, just ignoring everything that's in the report, which is you know, the usual tactics from them, I suppose. But look over there, look at the, look at that and, and pointing to Amnesty and saying that Amnesty the way we saw what happened with Corbyn and all the rest of it is you criticize Israel, you're anti-Semitic or you're this, that and the other. Um, and that you, 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 on the water boundary that comes with it as well. Well, he's addressing some of that and saying, you know, we found that the Myanmar government subjects the Rohingya people to a system of apartheid. Um, it's extremely easy to find our work on Syria, Iran, and yes, the work on the violations by Palestinian groups as well. So it's a, it's in fairness, it's this fairly strong letter uh, in response. But I just thought, seeing as you'd raised the uh, geopolitical stuff, uh, I throw that in there that the amnesty have declared, and and it does help leftists and others to argue uh, against apartheid in in Israel by having somebody who's mainstream like Amnesty and not exactly a, a lefty group uh, coming out in, in condemnation of Israel's treatment of the Palestinian people, uh, which continues unabated. And sure, we'll see, I'm sure, more over that on this in, in the coming days and weeks. Um, there was some more stories I wanted to touch on. I need to find it here. But the uh, the DUP stuff up north. Um, yeah. 
it's yeah, just it's crack. <laughs> it it's almost like a comedy, isn't it? It's almost like you know politics is a regular you know uh, drama in most countries, but in the north it just seems to be a sitcom. It's just like what the fuck are they doing now? Um, but yeah, so the the assembly is basically being pulled down because the first minister Paul Given has has resigned as first minister um, and they're trying to force an, an early election uh, both Sinn Féin and the DUP didn't want the elections to to, to take place in May they want them sooner um, but this is really about the DUP um, again distracting pointing at the protocol and saying that, th- that this is the problem but in reality what it looks like might happen is that the elections will be called and and Sinn Féin are ahead in the polls for the first time and looking like they might take the first minister position. But what the DUP are, are doing is laying the, the foundations for we're not going into that uh, assembly because of the protocol stuff and that won't the protocol stuff won't be dealt with. So it's um it's a very precarious situation we're in in the north now as a result of that. Like the DUP are really show, throwing two fingers up to the, 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 the democracy. Um, whatever way you want to look at it, um, it's not even about pulling down Stormont. It, it's this is strategic in terms of not allowing Stormont to continue in any form in a couple of months if an election is called. Uh, but we've got until next Thursday, I believe, uh, before the secretary, the Northern Ireland secretary, has to make a decision about about what happens next. So I don't know. It's it's just it's a bit mad. I don't know, Connor. Have you been reading anything on this? I have like it's one of the few stories that I did kind of uh, you know kind of follow kind of during the week, and like I would agree there with there with your kind of assessment that what kind of Jeffrey Donaldson is doing is that he's getting his excuse in early, Um he can't be a deputy first minister to kind of Michelle O'Neill, Um it just the DUP would just it would just explode. Mm. So um, he's he he's already kind of put in his his excuse it's not because of Sinn Féin it's because oh the a protocol isn't sorted so they're going into into opposition they'd be happy for the UUP to go in as deputy kind of first minister you know but like mm. they're not going to do it um uh because they are just getting absolutely hammered like even even Sinn Féin kind of you know Sinn Féin kind of emerging as the largest party is not down to any kind of it isn't down to a kind of dramatic increase in its vote up north it's down it's down to the implosion of the dup vote you know mm. so that's what they're looking at and that's really that's really what this is about so i mean it's all up in the air like like the votes have you know it, it, the votes kind of have to be counted but it seems that and like donaldson has has flagged this kind of already that they are going into opposition after the next kind of assembly kind of election anyway so someone else can be deputy kind of first minister. It's it kind of Sinn Féin. Whether that happens or not, who knows? But like, um, but that's that seems to be the a different DUP's kind of game plan is to be an official kind of opposition in the assembly if it is going to set back up again, and then to try and like rebuild uh, from there. Yeah, I mean, the DUP are at seventeen percent in the polls, and Sinn Féin mm. at twenty five percent. It's not even close. You know, it's it's yeah. a massive, massive difference. So mm. now, whether that plays out, because what happens in a polling booth in a um, in a society like Northern Ireland is, it, it, anyone can tell. It, like it's it's going to be a very difficult it's, one because it probably will. Because I mean, even in the last kind of election, Sinn Féin came came very close. 
so uh, so so um like i'm not a like i'm not a kind of betting man but i think that it, it that's as close to an odds on favorite is that what it's called it, it when something is kind of certain i i don't know I, yeah I, but anyway it, but, but like you know it's 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 as close as you can get to a certainty, you know, yeah. because like, I mean, it's just the, like, even if there is, like, there won't be kind of agreed kind of candidates, um, mm. like the, you know, so it's all down to whether the, the UEP um, will go um, as, you know, as as kind of deputy kind of first minister or if the alliance um, put themselves down as a unionist block <laughs> and then, you know, just for the purposes of the GFA. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, and then take that slot. Who knows? You know, so it's all for, you know, for, you know, for grabs. But this is all about it. it, 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 it like I just said, this is, there's no other plan going. This is just the DUP fighting for kind of survival. Mm. And it's seen as its only kind of card it, it, that it can play is, is go into kind of opposition. And that's what it's going to do. If the, if the assembly's running, all well and good. It's not about bringing down like Stormont. It's all about saving the kind of DUP and wants to do that outside of like government. Mm. It's uh, you just uh, you, you just all, well in, in the back of my head, I always have worries about where this is going to lead. Like <laughs> afterwards, because uh, and and again, it's another it's a, another one is you can't really tell what's going to happen with SDLP, for instance. I just don't know. I know the polls are saying twenty five percent in vain, but is there going to be a resurgence of SDLP? Well, I mean, well, well you know, I, I look on that point, and and look again, like sorry, Glenn, I I, I just seem to be talking it just an awful lot here, so. Feel free. free entrance fee alone, Connor. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, but like you know, like like I met up, I met up with a friend of mine, like during the week for a coffee, and um, he was actually in Derry, same as yourself there, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, for the the bloody Sunday kind of marches kind of last week, mm-hmm. and like um, he was saying that he was just struck at like the poverty in Derry City said it was just like it was it was absolutely shocking. You know, like like 30 years of a peace process and the people who had fought the British fucking empire who had who had who had fought it. it those kind of communities are no better off, you know? Mm. So yeah. like how does that play out? How does that play out? Like when we talk about what's undermining the kind of GFA it's not the DUP and their own kind of machinations. It's the fact that where has been the social kind of dividend of the uh, of the uh, peace process? You know, mm-hmm. it was outsourced to come private enterprise in the 1990s. That was part of the plan. It was part of the um, of the GFA that it, that the peace kind of dividend it, it, it would be kind of outsourced. That was the kind of that was Bill Clinton's uh, big idea. <laughs> they did that, and it's it's you know where is it for the mm. people of 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 the Craig and, and of the Bogside? Like yeah. Horrendous kind of poverty, you know, like in this kind of house, in the in this kind of house yeah. estates. All that suffering, all that fighting, all that all that sacrifice, and they're still left in the same kind of poverty as before. It's yeah. Heartbreaking. And, and and the region is the most deprived in the whole of the United Kingdom. And that brings yeah. me back to the article. Uh, a little bit because they're they're saying that the DUP are you know blaming everybody but themselves um 
except for they're not really blaming Boris Johnson. And that's what the article in the Business Post is saying. They should be pointing the finger at him because he's the ones that's leaving the DUP high and dry. And it's embarrassing to watch how he's behaving towards them. Right. And it is. You can see it like a couple of years ago. And they remind you in the article that a couple of years ago, the DUP were the power brokers. They were the ones that held the the sway between uh, Theresa May's government, (laughs) which was a bit of an implosion itself. But all through this, the DUP, you know, if you looked up shit show in the dictionary, it should just have a picture of the DUP's logo beside it. Like, like, I don't like, I don't kind of doing this because like, I, I, I don't want to be kind of picked up wrong, which it probably will be. But Corbyn has a case to answer here he should have backed May's plan hmm. he did it for his own for his own kind of party kind of political uh, the Glare party should have backed May in that first deal uh, that she brought back which would have kept Britain in the EU same as the as the North is now and you wouldn't have kind of these issues but for hmm. their own selfish kind of political kind of reasons they also used the North as a it look as a football. Mm. I've, I, I don't. I, that's not I, I, against kind of Corbyn. Corbyn um, has his own kind of track record. He doesn't have to answer to anybody when mm. it comes to the north. Like he has like 30, 40 years of extending and being and being on like on, on on the right side. But the British kind of Labour Party, for its own reasons, mm. did not back May's plan, which if they did, would have neutralised the kind of DUP, and you wouldn't have this kind of shit show now. Yeah, and and just because you've mentioned it, but the bloody Sunday that um, March, I was up there for the weekend last weekend, and um, you know, I, like I'm up there very, very frequently. Um, but the the thing, and you mentioned about deprivation, like the Bogside Inn is being destroyed, like it's it, it's knocked oh, down. It? Just, yeah, it's what it, is it? It, the the whole area is now just like a, a bomb site. It's it's completely derelict. There's nothing there. Like it's it's gone. There's rubble, little bits of rubble, and the optics when you come over the flyover there in Derry and come into it are just awful. And there's yeah. you know the bottom of the flyover. Sorry for listeners yeah. if you don't know Derry well, but it, it's like the heart of of the murals up there, and like mm. this is where there's there's been bonfires on that road. Road, specifically on the road, melting the tar and the lumps on it. It's 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 not a nice area. But look, the 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 actual march and the people who were on the march, it was fantastic atmosphere. The speeches were oh, top class from Bernadette McGalisky, who was up first, then Eamon McCann and then Claire Daly. And all three of them, it was like, oh my God, you're talking about some of the best speakers, public speakers you could get. But there was a huge amount of pressure on Claire Daly because I put her last after Bernadette McGalisky and Eamon McCann. And everyone was going, oh, that's a this is going to be a tough one now for you, Claire. But she did quite well, actually. Um, but I think it was an emotional day uh, obviously for the families mostly but but, but for the whole city and when uh, Eamon McCann got up after Bernadette and said uh, 50 years ago to this this day or whatever this weekend Bernadette was up on stage when the bullets started firing by us and we had to go into hiding and run and he was talking about his memories of the day and they went into Nell McCafferty's house and he, he was recalling all the memories of trying to find out how many had died it was initially they were hearing three people had died and others were injured but he, he said at the end of his, of that sort of introduction in his speech he, he he said I'm just delighted that after 50 years Bernadette got to finish her speech it was really oh my god really emotional sort <laughs> I mean, of a moment you know I'd be but, crying uh, here now myself, you know. <laughs> you should have came up. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it, it was. It, I did it, my PhD in 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 Derry, uh, twenty right. twenty uh, 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 like years ago, you know. But it, 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 well, that's where I did it, like you know. So yeah, yeah. I love it. No, I absolutely love the city. We we we. 
met with a few friends up there as well over the weekend, went to a couple of talks. The bloody Sunday weekend is always good, but obviously in the 50th anniversary, it's going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be a big one, but we went into Pilot's Row and there was the, the book fair in there. And then there was, there was oh, all... how was the book fair actually? Oh, like, yeah, don't worry. Your books were everywhere. I did notice they? them. They were the first ones I spotted when I went over to the Connolly Books stand. <laughs> two, two of them high on display there, but uh, it was gas. Someone was asking me when I was up there about, oh, what, what was it like at the book fair? You know, it's in the hall there in Pilot's Row. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, now that's left, left unity in there. You have the anarchists, you've got the Trotskyites, you've got this. The, there was even a big Maoist uh, banner across one of the book stalls. Uh, and I was going, this, look Maoist. <laughs> if only we could get this to work on some, it, it's just every day. And there was no, everyone was just like, I'll put mine beside yours. And I'm going, why are they killing each other? This is, this is mad. Um, but now it was, it, when it was the a, Maoist had, a, you know, the, the, the Maoist had their own kind of, uh, had drunk in a bookshop in in Dublin until the early kind of two thousands, and really? he sold all the all the Chinese press kind of versions of the of the kind of classics, but he sold them for one pound cheaper than the Conley books who sold all the Soviet ones. <laughs> <laughs> the market forces kind of going on, you know? and, 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 and you know, in in a sign of times to come, the Maoists undercut him, you know. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, right. I I don't know, Glenn. If you've got any more stories there, I've one or two more. But I'll let you jump in quickly because me uh, and Connor. Usually, I try to find something a bit more lighthearted to to kind of wrap up on. And I don't know. Maybe I just I just wasn't in very lighthearted form this morning. I couldn't really find anything. <laughs> uh, uh, so now, listen. I think I'll, I, I'm happy enough to, to kind of sign off. Unless you want to talk about uh, the post Rafa Benitez era at Everton, but maybe not uh, the right audience for that. Uh, we'll we, we hold off on that one. Thanks, as a Liverpool fan. Um, just uh, there is one more article I wanted to touch on here. There might be one or two more as well after I say this, but and you might want to jump in. But this uh, article again, going back to the hospitality sector and all the rest of it. Varadkar may ban use of service charge to top up wages of waiting staff in hospitality. Sector. This is just indicative of the state that sector is in, that, that restaurants, pubs and hotels are actually, like, the fact that we have to discuss banning them from stealing tips, like, yeah. is just says an awful lot. And Veradkar has taken, what, four or five years now to address this, at least? Mm. I say Veradkar, but the, the government, um, because obviously it was the he different got, minister. He, he got hammered on on his draft bill, though, like he got absolutely laughed at mm. for his draft, for his draft tips bill. So he was obviously feeling the a, a depression now. Like, like it was universal. Nobody came out apart from the restaurants association. No one <laughs> came out and and said it was a good idea. He got absolutely vilified for it. And not just, and not kind of vilified. He would like that. He got mm. laughed at. Mm. And I think, and I think that kind of got to him. And he's yeah. actually done something like, like, like he's on the verge of doing something half decent for the first time in his whole career. You know, mm. like so. this this paragraph under the bill, employers will be legally obliged to hand over the cash, any cash or electronic tips given to staff. How does that need to be said? How yeah. <laughs> how how can imagine being an employer? This is, this is a horrendously right wing country, and, mm. and we. And we forget that because it's so in, just going back just going back to my boring kind of points. It's so ingrained in the bones of the state itself. This is horrendously kind of right wing, mm. you know. So much so that it's been normalised 
in our own kind of minds forever. But it is fantastically kind of right wing. Yeah. And ju- and just yesterday, um, I was over in like UCD, kind of doing kind of you know, it, it, it looks, it looks some research, and I forgotten that it was a rugby match that oh. as well. So so driving home or like driving back, I had to pass by all the Irish kind of middle classes of Dublin who were the ones who were the front soldiers, who were the foot soldiers for maintaining the horrendous right-wing nature of this state. Mm. And you're just driving by them all wherever. You just go wherever. These are the ones who are keeping this fucking game going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that is, that's probably kind of explained my my spleen today, you know, having <laughs> Being stuck in traffic with the fucking Irish middle class, like holy good Jesus! You're locking your doors, right? just in case. They should, uh, maybe uh, they should they should for the good of everybody. Maybe they could consider having the Six Nations like every four years instead of every year. Like it's very intense, isn't it? Like mm. every yeah. February you have to. Yeah, <laughs> and the cynic gave me things that the reopen and happened almost entirely for the Six Nations. Yeah, you and know? and it, oh, it was called jolly good Jesus, embarrassing. <laughs> It's terrible. It really is. Um, last article that I want to touch on, and I do think it's an important one, that, uh, especially with this called the show called The Week at Work, is uh, an article by Brian Keegan, who I don't know if he is a columnist or with the Business Post or not, but he's a director of public policy at Chartered Accounts Ireland. But he, he's regularly in in the paper given his opinion, which is around almost every topic that he's fucking covered, right? No reason not to trust experts on pensions, right? And this is in relation to the Oireachtas Committee report that came out during the week saying that the pension, uh, the age of the state pension should remain at 66, right? And he's saying, he's making the comparison with COVID and saying during COVID, we had a bit of a tech, uh, technocracy, is that what it's called? Okay. You know, we, we, we were listening to the experts, he was saying. We yeah. had all the public health experts um, largely largely shaped our response to the pandemic for the best part of two years. Uh, and, and he's going on about how great it was. And although we people died, and it's very sad and all that, but generally we did quite well compared to other countries, he said. Which we didn't. That's a, I mean, that's a lie. Anyway, uh, yeah, we, we had the highest infection rates for a period of time. We had the highest death rates for a period it's of time. Over, it's over <laughs> 6,000 dead, what, it's 50 in, in New Zealand? Yes, yeah. But no, we won't think, We won't pay attention to that. We, 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 6,000. We'll be very... A penny, for, a penny for every time someone says that we're among the best in Europe, when, like, Europe was the worst in the world, like, in terms of its response, in terms of how it could respond. It's a little bit like, sorry, I said, oh, we're, we're fourth in the third division, you know? We're pretty happy with how that's going. Yeah. Um, well, like the whole way through... <laughs> That's actually a great analogy, yeah. <laughs> We're in the, the conference. <laughs> but we did well in the conference. Um, so in this article, and this is really going to piss you off, Connor, when I get to this bit, but in this article, he's going on about how, you know, in the pandemic, he's saying, we listened to the experts and we did quite well, which is untrue. But he's saying, uh, why can't we do the same when it comes to pensions? All of the businesses, academics and economists have told us that our pensions no by the way no reference to workers representatives at all right so businesses economists and academics are telling us that our pension system is um uh is in trouble right but then he goes and says this is the bit that might annoy some of you but are medical doctors in some way more expert than economists and welfare analysts is the <laughs> is the political system uh, simply trying to reassert its sovereignty uh, he's complaining about the fact that democracy t- took hold of the pensions yeah. issue and people are 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 saying no I want to retire at 65 right but he's he's made the comparison between medical doctors and economists how the fuck can you make that 
comparison when you think of it. Like so medical had, doctors. Like, what was it? Three, three, four weeks back, you had kind of Ona Mali calling for the end of like jury trials. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. again, it's just fantastic. Like it's unbelievably how, how, how institutionally right wing this state is. Mm-hmm. That that we step back from it, we go, holy fuck. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like it is, it is horrendously kind of right wing because like, like it's just day after day, hour after hour, it's just this, you know, diatribe of, of like right wing shit. Yeah. That we have to, that we have to kind of try to somehow kind of filter through like, you know, yeah. but like, I'm, the- I'm blaming all of this and getting stuck in, in a, in a traffic jam <laughs> in fucking Ranelagh, you know? <laughs> well, the thing, the thing that was going through my head when I was reading this paragraph is now, if I go into a doctor with a broken leg, every doctor, every medical doctor is going to say, yeah, sorry, Dave, you've got a broken leg, right? Mm-hmm. If I say my economy is broken, you're going to have 101 different economists giving you 101 different solutions to it and saying what needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. There is no comparison between medical doctors and economists. Econ- economics is not a science. No. <laughs> it's not a science in any way whatsoever. No, if it was, no, we'd all be following. Yes, it's an ideology. And it's taught, economy, most of the economists we hear from are right-wing economists. He didn't talk about Karl Marx being an economist and let's implement all of his stuff, right? He's he's talking about his mates in his chartered accountancy firm or his, the body he represents being able to pull the strings and pick what which pension choices they want to make. We don't have a pensions crisis in this country. We have a taxation crisis where we're not raising enough money to pay the pensions. So let's talk about that side, which is exactly what the Oireachtas Committee did. They recommended it goes back to the the Commission on Taxation and whatever that one is. So anyway, it was... If Fianna Fáil can't back it, I mean, that's the bottom line. Mm. Like the only vote base left Mm. are people who who are heading into either kind of pension age or anchor or 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 kind of pensioners. That's it, like you know. Mm. So I mean, that's the real kind of politic here. Yeah, yeah. That's actually really good analysis that I hadn't thought about. Actually, to be honest, like was when you look at the um, any of these polls that come out that you know Fianna Fáil have nobody under the age of forty, just no. none. So not no. even there. I'd say Jack Chambers doesn't even vote Fianna Fáil. <laughs> well, you know, he's not. He's not. He's not really forty. You know, he's a. <laughs> You know, he's a vampire. He was bit back in the eighteen sixties and just hasn't aged since. You know, <laughs> fuck's sake, Reverend. You know, he was he was bit he by was capitalism. Bit by he capitalism. Was, yeah. <laughs> Ireland thinks did ask me my my thoughts on the next three in the fall leader as well for what it's worth. So the choice. Did you go with? Like, oh, <laughs> I went with Norma Foley because I'm an accelerationist. But <laughs> uh, the other choices were 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 Jim O'Callaghan and and uh, and the minister for so Pascal too. What's the mic on the ground? That's a, <laughs> choices, that's like, a brilliant we're... line. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Right. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll wrap up on that then. Listen, this has been the week of work. I want to thank uh, Conor McCabe, my co-host, but also Glenn Fitzpatrick uh, for joining me. Um, if you can support us, we'd really appreciate it. Go to patreon.com forward slash left block. Um, there's a whole heap of other podcasts there as well that you might want to have a listen to, including the Trademark Belfast one, Newell Nanog, uh, the ABCs of Green Politics. Um, and we'll have more coming on online hopefully soon. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.